Green Teacher's main office is located on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Huron-Wendat, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga peoples. This territory is covered by the Williams Treaty. Kids have a limited attention span and capacity for big, heavy topics, so finding avenues to make it engaging is really important. There isn't a ton of stuff that I at least find funny that is not that funny, really, to an adult. Find examples of other kids who are making an impact. Mm -hmm. I think that was a really powerful thing for Zach and a lot of my other students. Testing, testing. Hey, I'm Ian. And I'm Sophia. And welcome to Talking with Green Teachers. This is the Environmental Education Podcast, where we discuss recent developments, big ideas, and creative approaches to teaching green. In this episode... I'm hopeful that my generation, being the savvy digital natives that we are, yes. we can come up with some innovative technology solutions to climate change. For example, there's a company working on seaweed packaging to replace plastic. Also, my generation has been witness to some big social change movements. Climate justice is social justice, so I am hopeful that young people's passion in that area will be young boy's first time visiting Big Sur, the fabled stretch of California coastline where the Santa Lucia mountains seem to plunge right into the waters of the Pacific Ocean. This particular sand beach is rather secluded, making it a great place to go for a swim. South of Big Sur, in the city of Los Angeles, Zach Fox Deval attends elementary school. He and his former teacher, Claire Marder, collaborate on the We The Children podcast, where they highlight climate and waste solutions in a fun and interactive way. Zach and Claire joined Ian to discuss the importance of levity and humor, avoiding false optimism, and how to help young learners become policy engaged. So let's start with a question for Zach. What sparked your interest in climate change? Well, I learned a lot about climate change in school, but I didn't really feel like any of my peers were talking about the crisis seriously. I wanted to take a tangible action step by creating my own podcast to raise awareness about solutions in a kid-friendly format. It was kind of like an accumulation of experiences. Like I said, learning about change makers in school, such as Greta Thunberg and Dr. Jane Goodall. And then I also went to a lot of climate activist marches with my parents and spent a lot of time in nature on our vacations, like visiting Big Sur, Yosemite, Glacier National Park, the Redwoods, mm. et cetera, et cetera. How did your interests and experiences in those natural places sort of inform your concern about the state of the climate? Well, when I'm in nature, especially in national parks like that, where they are sort of kept clean, it doesn't immediately pop out to you like, oh, everything is getting hurt. But if you kind of look at what is happening in the form of 
how it's different from what used to happen, you really do notice the differences in the climate. For sure. And I feel like, Zach, your experience of growing up in such an urban city, such an intense metropolis, and then also having this connection to more remote and rural nature experiences, it gives you sort of a dichotomy of seeing two different sides of the climate issues. Yeah. Yeah. And we try to make our, our garden, our front yard as green as possible, but it's certainly not the same as a forest. Right. Yeah. Do you get a lot of interesting butterflies and hummingbirds and things come to it? Yeah. Awesome. I'm envious of all of those Pacific Coast species that I don't get to see here in the Great Lakes region in southern Ontario. <laughs> so you mentioned that you got interested in, in climate change largely through experience in natural areas and learning about it from your parents. Yeah. But a lot of other young people don't necessarily have that degree of interest and maybe part of that is just because they lack the awareness or maybe they've lacked the education what do you think gets younger people you know people your age or around your age paying attention to climate change i think comparing it to things they care about and showing them how it affects their life like for example my friends who like to go to the beach mm. and i don't really have many friends who like to go to the beach but <laughs> if i did they might not be able to swim in the ocean because there's too much plastic and i have to say that my me and my friends are fortunate so sometimes it's hard to see when you live in an area that isn't impacted much but people have trips disrupted because of the polar vortex or this rain we're having in california mm-hmm. and i was sent home from school today because we lost power and it is going to take the power company a longer time to do the repairs because of so many outages. These extreme weather patterns are going to have a bigger impact on our food supply at some point in the near future. And that's a really a bigger deal. Yeah. And in your experience, Claire, as an educator teaching students in elementary school, and it's grade two for the most part that you teach? Yeah. So that's sort of seven, seven eight-year-olds? Seven, eight-year-olds, yes. I've I've taught the gamut, but most of my experience is in that range, yes. Do you sort of follow the guiding principle of not focusing on tragedies until kind of age 10, 11? I always refer to David Sobel's principle of no tragedies before fourth grade. Mm. Yeah, it's such an interesting question and a challenging one in the day and age that we live in where as a teacher, you're having to balance the prior knowledge that the kids are coming into your class with, with your own personal approach or curriculum. So a lot of times, kids will come in having a great breadth of knowledge about climate issues. A lot of times they come in with absolutely no concept at all. So everyone's sort of in their own place on the journey. And It really goes into what the families are doing at home or how much exposure kids are getting to news stories or, you know, just the media cycle. So as much as possible, I agree with you completely that trying to keep the conversations age appropriate is really important, but also sort of honoring that kids are existing in the same world that we are existing in and to completely deny and ignore it is not necessarily, in my opinion, the best approach because it kind of creates just this this sense of denial that is such a major issue in 
the climate conversation is this sense of just like, well, if I can't see it and I can't feel it and I'm, I can't touch it, well, it's not happening. And so I feel like having a balance between those two things and trying to focus on positive stories, optimism, solutions at the younger ages is important. But they often come in, and I bet Zach would agree, with a sense of foreboding or slight sense of dread about it, Mm -hmm. just because it's hard to escape if you see the news or you see weather patterns in your own city and state. I mean, here in Los Angeles, we have fires and we're dealing with, like Zach said, a big rain event right now that's causing havoc. And so it's it's very hard to avoid. Right, Zach? Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to ignore completely. This is the thing. I mean, we don't want to unduly scare young people, but we also do have to be honest and truthful about it. And you mentioned about being age appropriate. And of course, yes. that's extremely important. But ignoring it really doesn't right. do much of a a service. And at at the end of the day, we have to prepare young people for being adults, being independent adults and entering the world. And they need to have that literacy about this world that they are entering. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Talking with Green Teachers is produced by Green Teacher, a registered charity in Canada that has been enhancing environmental education since 1986. By taking out a subscription, you can join our global network of passionate environmental educators, receive each issue of our quarterly magazine, and gain exclusive access to our vast archive of webinars and magazine back issues. All proceeds go back into the organization to support our vision of helping each successive generation of young learners become more environmentally literate than the last. To learn more, visit greenteacher.com. At a place like this, with dramatic vistas and waves lapping noisily against the shore, it's easy to let the worries of the world melt away and just become spellbound by the sheer awesomeness of nature. Your podcast touches on many heavy topics, yet, in my opinion, having listened to some episodes, the listening experience is actually quite light and a lot of fun and there's lots of room for levity and quizzes and jokes which you don't hear a lot in reporting on climate change podcasts about climate change obviously bringing that lightness to your podcast we the children is very important and i'm always interested in the creative choices behind any sort of creative venture whether it's a a book or a magazine or a movie song podcast whatever it is so just sort of walk us through your conceptualizing of bringing in this lightness and humor into your show? Well, I want to take a more serious topic and turn it into something that kids will enjoy and actually listen to. Right. I find that creating characters and funny voices and writing jokes is also a positive way for me to express myself. Plus, I gotta say, I'm pretty good at puns. Yes, I I like a good pun as well. (laughs) You mentioned about the, the character voices, so I don't want to give too too much away for anyone who hasn't listened to the show yet but can you tell us a bit about one of the additional characters in the podcast that pops up occasionally Uh, oh yeah well in every episode we have a segment called wacky weather Uh where wacky waldo the wacky weatherman that's a mouthful to say but um, lots of w's (laughs) he pops up 
and explains a wacky weather or a crazy weather phenomenon going on in the planet right now. And some of them are a little more like intense, but I think he like he definitely adds some of the lightness to the serious topic because he's such a peppy mood. Mm-hmm. He's kind of a kook, Waldo. Yeah. 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 He's got a big personality. For sure. And I think that's a really effective creative choice. And I'm always having to make creative choices with this podcast and with our magazine and various other creative ventures that I'm involved in. And mm-hmm. oftentimes when you're handling a really serious topic, you need to find a vehicle for bringing that humor and that lightness to it. And I think you've really achieved that nicely. And as I say, I haven't heard that in other podcasts and reporting on climate change. And I follow a lot of information about it. And you're the first that I've seen to do that. So kudos. Yeah, I think Zach has a real knack for character development and he has a real theatrical flair, if you don't mind my saying. So I've been teaching Zach for many years. So when we first started podcasting, we had a podcast about dogs. I read about that. And Zach played a dog, we could say. He embodied a dog. And, you know, we didn't want to lose that sense of like childlike wonder and sort of the joy of creativity. And it wasn't a news podcast per se, our podcast, although it does touch on current events. But yeah, just finding ways to keep it kid friendly because just like we just spoke about, I mean, kids have a limited attention span and capacity for big, heavy topics. So finding avenues to make it engaging is really important. And I would imagine the quiz is part of that thought process as well. <laughs> yeah. The trivia. Yeah. I, I like the quiz that, yeah, trivia is a, a more appropriate term. Yeah. yeah. For it. yeah it's, I, I find that a lot of fun and it's, it's educational too. Like it's a good way to sort of sum things up Yeah, because you feature an interview with an expert in a particular area of climate solutions in particular and then having that quiz to wrap it up is just sort of a logical way to finish up an episode yeah are there any other characters that you potentially have planned for upcoming episodes we don't really have many fictional characters because it's about a real topic we want to keep it sort of more realistic but Mm -hmm. i don't really think we have any upcoming characters that haven't just waldo yeah just just waldo and then obviously the people we're interviewing right and then Zach and I do a bit, well, I'm a, I'm a parent of like young kids in real life. And Zach is a very knowledgeable activist. And those are true. Those are true things. I am a young mom and Zach is a great young activist. But we sort of play into that and try to do some, you could say acting, right, Zach? Not necessarily fictional characters, but embellished versions of ourselves. Oh, correct. Right, right, right. I think you know a lot of the stuff. Right. Yeah. But I'm always like, really? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. It's like performative reality. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right term, but that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And you see that in some TV shows where celebrities will play sort of fictionalized versions of themselves that are based on reality and are mostly accurate, even if the scenarios are fictionalized and lines are written and so on. Right. With young people your age, Zach, and you're 11, correct? Yes, I'm 11. I mean, what sort of humor really appeals to people your age? And of course, I don't want to paint everybody your age with the same brush. I mean, that would be very unfair and very inaccurate, but there certainly are trends that come and go in humor. And is, you know, is there anything that educators need to know about what kind of 
funny stuff do 10, 11, 12-year-olds pay attention to? I mean, by the time you're like 10 or 11 or 9, you kind of get over like bathroom potty humor. <laughs> right. Um, but it's really different for everyone. Like, I think of myself as funny, sort of, but I can't really tell you what makes me funny. Like, there's different stuff that makes me and people in my class laugh. It's not really one category of thing, I wouldn't say, but it's like similar stuff that would make an adult laugh. Mm. It's, it's not really anything. There isn't a ton of stuff that I at least find funny that is not that funny, really, to an adult. Mm. I don't, I don't know how to explain that. Just... No, no, that, that makes perfect sense. And yeah. I mean, I'm an adult and I find your podcast very humorous. So I know I'm only one person, but uh, that's a one person sample. <laughs> <laughs> and Zach has a very dry sense of humor and in real life and is he's good with words and has a sort of a sarcastic edge in a light and friendly way. So I think you have a more mature... yeah sense of humor, Zach, that might translate well to adult listeners too, as well as younger listeners. But what's nice is that you can do both. It's not necessarily uh, like slapstick or anything like that, but Zach's very clever and witty and has a good, good way with words, very quick with words. Yes, you must be if you like puns. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, it's Ian. I'm just here to let you know about two of our newest books, Teaching Kids About Climate Change and Teaching Teens About Climate Change. Each one is kind of like an educator's toolbox with ready-to-use hands-on lessons focused on four core dimensions of climate change. Visit greenteacher.com to get your copies. We also have special rates available for bulk orders, and all proceeds go back into the nonprofit. The boy resists the urge to wade timidly into the water and just goes for it, jumping headfirst into the crest of a coming wave. Hope is always such a funny thing because we know we need it, but especially when it comes to climate change, it has to be grounded in reality. And a lot of research has suggested the importance of that because hope can also be weaponized as a way of just ignoring the reality. It's like, oh, just be hopeful. Everything's going to work out. Well, not necessarily. We need to know what the reality is so that we can actively participate in change and have hope based on the change that we're participating in. As an educator, Claire, do you have suggestions for empowering students and giving them that act of hope mm. when facing these gargantuan challenges like climate change, biodiversity loss, plastic pollution, etc.? Yeah, I mean, I think having honest and age-appropriate dialogue is really important, which we touched upon. And it is hard to find that balance between when you're discussing heavy topics without inducing unnecessary fear, because that can be paralyzing and unproductive. I think that a sense of dread, especially when you are a child and you have limited control over your life. <laughs> yeah. There's only so much we should be putting on children in terms of their personal responsibility. I think creating awareness and creating engagement, interest, and optimism is going to long-term be more effective and beneficial than piling on how scary things are and all of that. That being said, I, I think that some 
practical examples of things you could do as an educator. Find examples of other kids who are making an impact. Mm-hmm. I think that was a really powerful thing for Zach and a lot of my other students. We did a unit called Young Activists, and it, it's not even all about climate change. There are social justice activists that are kids or teenagers who are just getting involved in various initiatives. And I think that seeing themselves in an active, ultimately like political position and seeing that they have power, even though they can't drive themselves to school or vote or buy their own groceries yet, really can help them lean into that as an identity in the future that they can really hopefully capitalize on when they're older. And then, you know, it's tricky because we talk a lot about the small changes we can make in our lives on the podcast. And that's something that is personally a little bit conflicting for me because while I want to empower people to make small changes, and I think it's ultimately more important for them to become politically engaged and try to make legislative changes and corporations make changes and government make changes on a much broader scale because I I don't want to lean too much into that. Well, if you pick up three pieces of trash and, you know, like it's just such a fine balance. It's such a tricky balance, even as a, as an adult, it's hard, right? Like where does the line between my personal responsibility and the larger picture come together and where, where does that balance lie? But I do think that finding things that they can do, tangible action steps, is a way to ease climate anxiety and put more control into the hands of the child. So I don't, I I give him just, if the question is about empowerment, you know, empower them more. For sure. And going over to Zach, have there been any particular activities that you've gotten involved in that have motivated you more to get involved in some of the collective action as opposed to the strictly individual actions? I think over the summer, I participated in a coastal cleanup mm-hmm. while I was on vacation in Kauai. And I found like the styrofoam fiberglass part of a refrigerator, which had probably fallen off of a, a fishing vessel or something. Mm-hmm. It was really sad, but I did feel good participating and getting all the trash, especially the plastic out of the ocean. And whenever I volunteer, I feel better about what's happening. Like taking action steps helps with climate anxiety. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge thing these days is the climate anxiety and yeah. young people, first of all, need to know that adults are doing something about this crisis and young people, anybody who cares about this wants to know how they can contribute. And of course, finding this balance between collective action and individual action is a tough nut to crack for sure. And there's also that fine balance between educating young people about how the biggest actions you can take ultimately are ones that influence policy. Yeah. But then that opens up criticism of you might have a parent coming and saying, well, you're just teaching our kids to be activists for political reasons. Have you ever come across that, Claire? Um, Not that per se. I've definitely had parents feel concerned with talking about these issues with younger children and wanting as a parent to preserve your child's innocence for as long as possible. Mm-hmm. So I've definitely had to have some difficult conversations, much like, you know, the one we're having right now of yeah. 
what are the pros and what are the cons and trying to be open-minded and really see where they're coming from as parents, as well as trying to impart what, you know, we're either doing in the curriculum or what the school supports. It's not an easy answer. No, not at all. Yeah. Well, let's circle back to hope. Mm -hmm. And starting with Zach, what gives you hope that we can meet the challenge of climate change, that we can hit maybe the Paris target of 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius? Yeah, I'm hopeful that my generation, being the savvy digital natives that we are, yes, we can come up with some innovative technology solutions to climate change. For example, there's a company working on seaweed packaging to replace plastic. Also, my generation has been witness to some big social change movements. Climate justice is social justice, so I am hopeful that young people's passion in that area will bring out more change. I also have hope because I know that there will be things we need to do that are doable, like reducing food waste, and food waste actually accounts for 10% of all greenhouse gases, also planting trees to rehabilitate forests and native plantings, and also conversion to renewable energy to power our homes, cars, trucks. Yeah, we have all the solutions. We have everything we need. It's just a matter of mm-hmm. yeah. scaling it up and doing it fast enough. Yeah. And isn't that frustrating in many ways? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, it's right there. <laughs> yeah, no magic wands needed. Just use what we have. Right. How about you, Claire? What gives you hope that we can meet this challenge? I want to echo what Zach said. This generation, Zach's generation, is aware of social issues in a way that I certainly wasn't in elementary school mm-hmm. probably having to do with the media so I don't I don't know exactly or if it's just the times have changed but they are so aware of sort of what's right and what's wrong and I think that they have a really strong moral compass and like Zach said climate change is a social justice issue and I really have faith and hope that they, along with us adults as well, can harness that and really use that and be politically motivated, politically engaged, and, you know, keep up the good fight. For sure. And I know some people bristle at the term politically engaged, but I think it is important to make the distinction that politically engaged doesn't necessarily mean partisan. It really means policy engaged. That's a better because this really is all about policy isn't it it's about right having the right regulations the right incentives you know the right combination of carrots and sticks basically yeah i i mean i guess when i say politically engaged i mean i hope that they care yeah i know that in my generation as a millennial you know a lot of people don't care <laughs> so what i see in our little bubble here in a coastal large city, which is a a specific sample and a specific demographic. But what I see is just an abundance of engagement. So I, that gives me hope. Hi there. You might recognize my voice from such podcasts as the one you're listening to right now. Speaking of podcasts, Green Teacher is involved in another one. It's called Earthy Chats and you know what? How about I let my co-host, Jade Harvey Barrel, tell you the rest? Take it away, Jade. Thanks, Ian. Hello, all. Indeed, we'd love for you to join us for Earthy Chats. 
our new podcast where we've come together to spend time picking the brains of the brightest and best in environmental education. Like Busy Bees, we'll be cross-pollinating ideas across our range of interests and knowledge bases to give you the inside scoop on what's new, who's doing it, and how you can do it too. All of the experts featured on the show have resources available Canada-wide in the Outdoor Learning Store. That's Canada's non-profit outdoor resource store. You can check out the range of educator and student resources available at www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. So whether you're a teacher, educator, parent, or just a general nature geek, there'll be something for you to sink your teeth into. Did I cover everything there, Ian? Definitely. Thanks, Jade. So yeah, Earthy Chats. Check it out on your favorite podcast app. Something slippery wraps around his right foot. Is it one of the many pieces of plastic floating around in the ocean? He reaches for it and quickly realizes that it's actually a strand of giant kelp. Well, continuing on the track of solutions, we'll start with Zach. Can you describe a funky climate solution that has you really excited? And I know you feature a lot of these on the show, so maybe this is unfair to ask you to single out a single one, but what's one that <laughs> comes to mind for you again and again? Well, a recent winner of the Earthshot Awards is a UK company called Not PLA. Oh, yeah. Uh, or Not PLA, actually. I think that's how you say it. We've all heard of how plastic is such a big problem in our world. And as I'm using 9% of all the plastic ever produced has been recycled. So NOTPLA has a plan. They're making alternative plastics made from seaweed and plants that disappears naturally. Like I was talking about um, seaweed containers earlier. Mm -hmm. According to their website, they make biodegradable food containers, paper and edible bubble designs to replace single use plastic bottles. I think that's really encouraging and something I can definitely see my generation doing more of, like more of this cool climate creating. Yeah, that's a great initiative. And I, I just had a friend tell me about the Earthshot Awards and I'm busy as well as a parent, so have less time to tune into awards shows. But I, I did hear about some of the great innovations and certainly want to get more plugged into that world. And how about you, Claire? Any funky solutions that have you jazzed up? I've learned so much from making the podcast with Zach. We've profiled a lot of different companies and products that can help. As a parent, diapers was a big thing for me. And so I love learning about all the different diaper companies and what they're doing with baby poop. <laughs> yeah, it's important. And all the different, I mean, it, diapering is just so much waste. And it's a tricky thing because parents are overtaxed and exhausted and stressed out and adding something that's more work can feel very daunting. So I love hearing about all the innovative solutions to cloth diapering or diaper services. <laughs> that's a personal one for me. So I like that one. Yeah. And I'm in the same boat in terms of using cloth diapers. And I can relate to the fact that it is more labor, but yeah. it is nice to not be contributing yep. to landfills items that are not going to biodegrade for a very long time. Yeah. Well, sticking with Claire, any final advice for educators before we sign off? Well, I might be redundant from the things that we've discussed, but I think just being patient with young students who can often become easily overwhelmed or shut down 
problems such as climate change, try to keep with them and really be persistent, but gentle at the same time. Keep it simple, try to harness their optimism and focus on tangible things that they can do to ease their climate anxiety and empower them to talk to their parents, reach out to their representatives, corporations. I think that, like we said, being policy engaged or being policy aware is probably one of the most powerful things we can do as educators and teaching them that civic responsibility or civic sense of civic awareness they'll hopefully carry with them through their lives so yes we could certainly use more civic literacy these days definitely and zach final word to you what advice would you give to young people around your age i think we don't need everyone to do everything we just need most people to do something um, I just want people to pay attention. This is a very controversial topic, but I think this is our single biggest issue at this point in time. If we don't make progress in the next five years, that's not a long time. We will reach the point of no return. This is particularly hard on my generation. Adults won't feel the full pain of it, but my friends and I will. I do think we need to have more conversations about climate change. We need fossil fuel companies to get on board to help I would love to see a documentary or a TV show with kids and families talking about how to help fight climate change and stuff and how families can work towards solutions. But sadly, I don't think TV networks would really be interested in promoting that or producing that. Yeah, that's a tough one. And I totally agree with the fact that the people who are going to live this the most, so the youngest people, just from a purely mathematical standpoint, should have a very significant say in this. And that's part of the reason that we're having these discussions and why we engage with people of all ages to hear those perspectives, because while it's not to be shouldered entirely by the younger generation, we need that younger voice to be in there and the multitude of diverse voices within communities of young people to be out there. So I really thank you, Zach and Claire, for bringing a younger voice into the sphere and into this really important discussion as we face this daunting challenge, but a challenge that also has a lot of opportunity. And if we do get it right, the benefits are massive. And that is really exciting. Thank you, Ian. The boy goes to toss the piece of kelp back into the ocean before pausing to remember an award that was recently given to a company that uses seaweed as an alternative to plastic. Maybe that's the sort of innovation he can feature in his podcast. Talking with Green Teachers is co-hosted by Ian Shanahan and me, Sofia Vargasnesi. Ian is the show's writer and editor. Logo design is by Devin Terian. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or iTunes to get instant access to each new episode. If you really like the show, give us a rating too. We can also be found wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining us in this episode. We'll chat again soon. I like snow. It's fun. You can do stuff in snow. Sure. We're supposed to have a little little break from the rain until 
what, Saturday? Next week, yeah. I don't know how correct that is. I mean, the, the Weather Channel, it's like... Yeah, we always remember when they make mistakes, don't we? <laughs> yeah.